Hello and welcome to the Footy Philosophy Podcast. I am Kevin, joined by Brendan as always. This is episode 7. We are coming in at a, a time right between Christmas and New Year's, so that means lots of Premier League Boxing Day fixtures, which we will get into. But first, I'd like to sort of ask you, BJ, about Carlo Ancelotti re-signing until 2026 at Real Madrid. You know, there's lots of speculation about, is it going to be Xabi Alonso coming in? Will Ancelotti just walk away? Is he going to go manage Brazil? Like, just give us sort of like a rundown of the last few months when it comes to the Madrid manager role. And also your thoughts and feelings about it being a Madrid fan. So first and foremost, I just want to say that I was very much against the renewal until this season. Like, the more games we saw, the more we watched, the more we saw how Carlo actually manages the squad, it kind of seemed more likely that it was going to happen. And, you know, the problem that a lot of people have with it is that, like, he gets it really wrong sometimes. Um, And that's the negative, right? Yeah. Man City, UCL semifinal, he got it really wrong. Um, Atletico, beginning of the year, he got it really wrong. But he gets a lot of games right, too. So you kind of have to take the good with the bad. He's not going to be perfect every single time. And because he's a relationist kind of coach, sometimes, you know, you're heavily dependent on how well your players are going to perform. And because you're not a positionalist, putting Tony Cruz at the six against Man City and Atletico, doesn't work um you need someone like Chuameni there and that's really aggravating for a lot of madrid fans because he seems to rely on the guy that he had and he knows um he's starting to pull off them a little bit which is nice and that's why i'm more accepting of it because to me the best real madrid midfielder right now doesn't involve Tony Cruz, doesn't involve Luka Modric. It's Chuameni, Kamavinga, Fede Valverde, and Jude Bellingham. To me, that's the best Real Madrid midfield right now. Um, but, you know, with injuries and stuff, stuff comes along, stuff happens. And actually, one could argue that Tony Cruz has actually been the best midfielder for Real Madrid this year, which is not true. Um, but <laughs> one could argue. I think Fede Valverde has been better. And I think if you want to consider Jude, you know, I know it's a completely different role, but Jude is a midfielder. Um, but he kind of gets into his own bracket. So, yeah. And I do think that I don't think Kamavinga has been great this year. Um, And I think that's kind of reliant on the fact that he's played out of position sometimes at left back to fit Tony Cruz into the lineup, which has helped him, but also has hurt him a little bit. Um, and we might see Chuameni play a lot of center back if Real Madrid don't make a signing. And even if Real Madrid do make a signing, he might still end up at center back, which is not going to be ideal. Um, so all that being said, I'm okay with it. Till 2026 doesn't mean anything because Florentino Perez will fire someone within a couple months. It doesn't really matter. Um, yeah. I think I think they kind of put a feeler out to Chabi would be my guess. And he didn't take it up real quick. I think he wants to stay at Leverkusen. I don't know if you saw, but Florian Verts also was like, I'm staying. So I think they kind of want to keep that band together for at least another season. Um, but usually, 
that doesn't work out um as we see with napoli right now it just it yeah. doesn't always work out that you keep the guys together but i'm not against the renewal that's the thing like i prefer chabi alonso because i think the club needs to be looking towards the future but you know when you look at carlos track record there isn't a single player that he's had that best career years haven't come underneath him cristiano's best years bale's best years Ames's best years isco's best years came under zidane but isco was still very good under carlo um Benzema's best years. He won a ball in the Oro under Carlo. Um, even Ramos has had fantastic years under Carlo. You know, under Mourinho kind of shaped Ramos, but Ramos became the Ramos we knew under Carlo. Um, yeah. And even when you start looking at like Pirlo's best years were under Carlo, um, Kaká's best years were under Carlo. Uh, you know, so it's just. It's not surprising. Let's just put it that way. Um, Vinicius's best years have come under Carlo. Rodrigo's best years. Bellingham's best years. I know these guys are young, and we expect them to get better. But I one positive is is that we're going to get to see Endrick under Carlo, and I'm actually that was my one reasoning for keeping him was I was kind of like Endrick under Carlo, like that's going to be really good for his development. It's going to be really good for the team. It's going to be really good for the future. And I don't see it till 2026. I really see it till 2025, probably. But, you know, if he wins a trophy this year, if he wins a, if he wins a significant trophy next year, he'll actually probably keep it till 2026. But I think he probably needs to win a UCL either this summer or next summer. And I think, um, if you bring in a proper nine, I think Real Madrid probably are the best team in the world on paper. So I agree. Um, the guys are happy. Like the, the players are very happy under Carlo. You know, there were some issues under Zidane where um like bench like there was rumblings coming from the locker room that like guys weren't happy, guys aren't happy. Like he kind of just had like his twelve to fifteen guys he used. Carlo bro, Carlo uses everybody. Like Nacho plays, Lucas Vasquez plays, Rudiger plays, Alba plays, Militao plays. He's literally rotating Kepa and Lunin right now, um, which is not good. But you know, <laughs> it's because both have played really well, and like you feel kind of bad benching the other just because you kind of prefer one when they've both played so well. Um, you know, we wrote Danny Ceballos, who's our seventh midfielder, gets a good amount of minutes under Carlo. Um, you know, Brahim and Jose Lu have eaten up a lot of minutes this season. And, you know, you talk, you talk about injuries and all this stuff, but, you know, at the end of the day, Carlo's done a really good job rotating. He's got a fresh squad. Um, we've dealt with a lot of injuries. We're definitely, I, I don't quote me on it, but we're definitely the most injury squ- injured squad in Europe. And, you know, we still look pretty good. And that's a lot of thanks to Carlo, this system that he's implemented and the tweaks he's made. You know, Chuameni goes down and he's like, all right, we got to go to a flat 4-4-2, which has always been a Carlo thing, by the way. Uh, in attack, we were a four-three-three under Carlo. In defense, we were four-four-two. With that's why Di Maria was so successful in that CM role um, that he needed to play because defensively he shifted out to the left wing. Bale shifted out to the right wing. In attack, he can kind of tuck in and do his thing um, and be that work rate kind of guy. So, um, just you know, he's he gets shafted because he's a relationist. 
He yep. gets shafted because he's talked about how he doesn't have tactics. But if you watch Real Madrid every single game, and if you actually tune into Real Madrid every single game, you see the tactical tweaks he's making, and they're not—they're not profound tactical tweaks. Like he's not like changing up the style, or he's not like hampering the development of certain players by, you know, being like, "I need you to do this." No, he just kind of puts position players in positions to be successful. You know, he moves. Chuamani goes down. He, Tony Cruz is struggling, so he's like, all right, Fede, like, you got to play deeper. You got to be the DM role, you know, a little Chabi Alonso, Sammy Kadir-esque holding role um, <laughs> where, you know, Fede does a lot of the hard work. He does a lot of the coverage, and, yeah, it hurts us going forward because Fede's such a great ball progressor. But, you no. know, uh, Jude can do that a little bit more. And, you know, Luka Modric isn't he's not his prime, but he's still a very good midfielder, still a midfielder that a team like Tottenham would love to have, or Man United would love to have, or City would love to have. Um, so yeah, that's, I know that that was a little long winded, but I, hey. I think there were a lot of things that needed to get said. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And you know, with someone like Ancelotti sticking around, it's, it's got to feel you know, somewhat interesting to say the least about so much continuity at the club for, you know, a good, a good amount of time now, but let's say he runs till 2026. How many years would that be in charge? At least four to five, right? Then if you can include his first stint, like seven, eight. Yeah. So, you know, he's, he's putting himself up there in terms of, most memorable Madrid managers. In he Europe. already is up there. Yeah. Like the moment he won La Decima, he was already forever. Like that's why it's really difficult for like, not Madrid fans to be critical of him, but Madridistas to like, you know, to be like mad at the club for like renewing Carlo. Like if Carlo was shit in the bed, like fans would be like, get him the fuck out of here. But he's not. And it's like, <laughs> this is a guy that's so respected. In the streets of Madrid, yeah. he's he's probably the second or third greatest manager in Real Madrid's history. Like, that's that's not an easy task to do, and it's crazy because like this guy is as much of a Madridista as me, as you know the people in Madrid, and he never even played for the club. That's what's kind of incredible, and you know he's just that is crazy. He, he's a don man, like you know that video of him smoking cigars with like Vinicius and Rodrigo and Militao, like. Him dancing like on the field after winning the Champions League with Vinny and Rodrigo, like, yeah. How many coaches do you see actually do that? Where like they have that kind of relationship with their players that they can do those kind of things, and like the players don't like, oh, look at the gaffer. Like it's like, nah, like come on, join us. Like, yeah. They just they seem like such a good group and such a fun group to be around. Really, I totally agree with you. After the UCL, it was awesome to see Ancelotti, you know, sort of party it up. Because, you know, I, I'm an outsider with the Madrid team, and I didn't expect that out of him. You know, all I was really seeing was the eyebrow, the whole the whole run. But, yeah, uh, yeah I, it's interesting, you know, just how quickly it changes. Preseason, I do remember talking to you about it. It's like, no, we need to probably move on from Ancelotti. Wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. But now it's like, yeah, why not? And... It is really interesting how, you know, him being there for someone like Endrick, 
is interesting because obviously he's been there and he seems to have that touch with the Brazilians. Um, yeah, I don't know. As opposed to having someone like, you know, trying to implement a, a full-blown system and it's like, all right, Hendrick, if you don't fit in this, you're gone. Um, yeah. You have any, any further thoughts on Ancelotti? Well, not really, but just, you know, just wanting to mention that um, the team that he's, I'm going to say inherited, it's not really inherited, but it's not like he's building it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so the team that he is being given is just so incredibly deep, so incredibly good, so incredibly talented that, you know, you have a young kid like Arda Guler who hasn't even stepped foot on the field yet. You have a kid like Hendrick coming in who hasn't even come to the club yet. And it's just really impressive what Florentino and the staff have built. And it makes it real easy for Carlo to do his job, um, especially as a relationist coach. Yeah, it's a good point. Well, moving on, I think uh, we uh, will certainly talk about Ancelotti in the future. And... Um, we had lots of EPL fixtures throughout these past few boxing days. We obviously discussed a few of them in a, our previous episode, but I would say the later ones this week were more interesting. Uh, starting sure. off with Manchester United and Aston Villa. United end up winning, and they they finally score some goals, and they score three. Uh, Garnacho providing two, and then, of course, Hoyland providing his first Premier League goal to get the winner. They came back from 2-0 down at home. Um, I don't know. I, I genuinely don't have a lot of thoughts about this game. Uh, the XG, 1.3, we'll call it, to 1.95. So, you know, relatively even, maybe Aston Villa a little bit hard done by. Um, Aston Villa unlucky in every stat when you look at it. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, this field's tilted ever so slightly in their favor. Um, you can accept a draw. You yeah. don't want to accept a, you know, a loss. For sure. Especially when 2-0 cool. up. It's yeah. the first time that uh, Aston Villa have dropped points when they were in a winning position this year. Um, well, that's crazy. And they have the second most points in 2023. Uh, so we, that needs to be remembered as well. And, you know, something that I just want to say is that, um, I, you know, we've been shit-talking Ten Hag a lot, but... Um, it's not shit talking. It's just being hypercritical. Um, he actually did a really good job in this game. You think so? So they were sitting off a little bit. Yeah, I I do, and I I think he deserves some praise. So I'm gonna give him some praise. Um, he made one little tactical switch, and you know, I think Via have some blame here, but I can't blame Via completely. Um, first off, Garnacho, what a game! Deserves all the credit. Um, you know, they don't do it without him. Secondly, I don't know if you noticed, but in the first half, they were kind of like sitting off. Um, yes. And then in the second half, they started to press a little bit more. Um, they were caught seven t- offside seven times in the first half. Uh, so, you know, the floodgates were starting to open. They just needed that first one, and they got a couple goals called offsides that they didn't give, weren't given. Um, and then, you know, United just started to grow in confidence. and that little tactical tweak just to be a little bit more aggressive in our press um, ended up helping Manchester United take the win. 
and this isn't a knock on Manchester United, what I'm about to say, and it's just Villa were really stupid, man. They continued to play that high line up 2 0. They continued to, after catching United off seven times, you know, eventually they're going to get one. Um, They continued yeah. to, you know, be ball dominant. And Manchester United were very happy to hit them on the counter, which, you know, as you and I have talked about, I don't know if you've actually mentioned it on this pod. United are a better counter-attacking side than they are a ball-dominant side. They are better in transition than they are yeah. when they hold, retain the ball. I agree um, with you. So, you know, all that being said, uh, the game was pretty even in field tilt and possession and XT. Um, about 0.5 more in XT for West Ham. It was just... It was an ugly performance for Villa and something that is unacceptable. And, you know, maybe it's something that we should talk about. Just the fact that we're even mentioning Villa this way against Manchester United at Old Trafford. Like, who would ever thought in 2023 that's something we'd be saying? Like, oh, Villa, you really dropped points at Manchester United at (laughs) Old Trafford. But it's all circumstantial, right? Right, yeah. It is is crazy to say out loud, you know. Um, And that is, you know, it's a really good point in terms of via continuing to play the high line, they, they do create the most offsides for their opponents in the league by like a landslide. And, you know, I, to some extent as a Spurs fan, I, I like, I get it. It's like, all right, keep doing what you do. If this is how you feel, you're going to win the game, then keep doing it. But like you just said, Emery's a smart guy, clearly. He like, he's not dumb. And so like, say here, United have the ball. I don't think you can do anything with it. At least, you know, that's how I would go in my shoes. But th- there's a reason why I'm not the Aston Villa head coach, you know? Well, and something something Emery said after the game was really interesting. He was kind of like, yeah, like, I would have liked to drop off, but, like, I've instilled in, this guy's, in these guys such a high line that, like, he's like, they just do it instinctually. Yeah. And, you know, we'll we'll talk about it, but Pasacagula said similar things. Um, You know, it's... This is an exciting time for United's younger players, Garnacho and Hoyland. You know, is it Hoyland's time? Is he going to start? You know, scoring goals. Who knows? You gotta I hope, you gotta hope so. I mean, yeah, he's been kind of unlucky. But part of the problem is, is even when you look at it, um, kind of like the Martinelli case right now, is he's not even getting any service. Yeah. I think he's got like he's got like three point five xg in the league, and it's just kind of like. All right, cool. He's underperforming his XG. Like, that fucking sucks. But, like, also, I'm just knowing that he's not getting any service, like, at all. Mm-hmm. And part of that is because of Rashford. Rashford's a very selfish player. Um, but <laughs> that's neither here nor there in this yeah. conversation. But Yeah. Arsenal, zero to West Ham. Um, this is surprising. Arsenal at home, well, maybe not super surprising, but I definitely would have expected an Arsenal win. And, you know, this is a typical West Ham victory. <laughs> they had 27% of the ball. Uh, they got, they were dominated XG-wise. 3.5 yeah. to 1.7, you know, expected threat. They're almost three down. Um, they feel till it's 90 to, 90 to 10, 91 to 9. Um I don't well, know. Look at that defensive action height, thirty. Yeah, so you know how low they're sitting. Um, well, and this is the problem with Arsenal, right? Like, a West Ham is actually going to cook them. 
Like, imagine, because now that West Ham actually has talent up front, like a West Ham team away from home is actually better suited to beat Arsenal than, um, I was going to say United, than a City team. And I'll tell you why. Because West Ham is okay to hit you on the counter, and West Ham getting an early goal is just, it's, it's, every, it's all they needed. Yep. They didn't need a second. They were so comfortable 1-0 up. And it's because this Arsenal team and their fucking positionalism have no clue how to change the tempo for the game. They have no clue. They don't have a metronome in midfield. I think their midfield was Trousseau, Declan Rice, and Martin Odegaard. Those aren't metronomes. You're running a winger, a 10, and a guy that can play a 6, but he's probably best suited as a box-to-box, right? Yeah. So, you know... Arsenal's game plan this year is to go up and then lull you to death. You know, like we're gonna we're gonna hold the ball, we're going to um and we're gonna play super defensive, you know, we're not gonna push it, like we're gonna play safe. Uh, we're gonna win like one, two, nil, three, two, you know, we're just gonna lull you to death. They're not like a high octane side like Avery Real Madrid is. Um, where they just go, 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 go. Um But Real Madrid can play other ways, but um, this Arsenal team, much like the Man City team, has a one, they got one speed. And the problem is with having that one speed, the moment they go down one nothing, this team just doesn't have the attacking power. They don't have the midfield metronome, and they don't have the players to be a high-octane side. And it's even worse because they're heavily relying on positionalism, and that kind of kills them. Yeah, uh, you know, that's sort of becoming a talking point this this season, especially. Um, although I will say, a team like West Ham on the counter, they're probably the best counterattacking team in the Prem, maybe. You know, obviously teams lower down the table are going to do it, but West Ham, you know, a bigger a bigger team in England. Um, they, this has sort of been the blueprint to beat the Arsenals in the cities over the past few seasons, but Moyes has really perfected it, and, you know, Guys like Kudus and Jared Bowen are perfect for this. He doesn't really need necessarily a guy like Declan Rice in there anymore. You know, Declan Rice is better suited to be to be the six in a positionalism side. Um, yeah, I'm not. I was just about to say that Declan Rice is better for Arsenal than he could ever be for West Ham. Yeah, exactly. And you know, fair enough. That's where you, that's where you're gonna go. That's where you're gonna be. The best, and that's his level career. too. Yeah, you know, like that's that's a better fit for him. It it is interesting how you mentioned, you know, Arsenal really only have one way of playing. Um, you know, they have the players to to build in some some quirks with counterattacks. Martinelli's rapid, Saka's super fast. You know, Odegaard can play a great ball too. Yeah, exactly. Like quick release, like just into a channel. But this is the problem; they don't have a nine. To, to pin the center backs back. You think Gabriel Jesus is going to do it? No, he wants to, no. he wants to rotate with Martinelli on the left side. Um, so, you know, it is worth watching, keeping your eyes on. I, I think Arsenal will be fine, obviously. West Ham sit in sixth place now. Um, well, Arsenal will probably go trophyless this year. Um, and just <laughs> another point before we even move on, Martinelli has only produced a 2.2 XG, meaning... They're not. He's not even getting any touches at all in the box. Yeah. Like, so you know, for a guy that is, I'm not really a Martinelli fan, but also I'm not gonna lie. I don't 
know his game as well as I know others. Um, yeah. I just, I just, and it's not that I'm not a Martinelli fan. I just see a lot of people talk about how much better he is than like Vinicius and Rodrigo. And I'm just like, that's why they start over him for the national team. But okay, go on. Yeah. King. Um, but, you know, he's a, he's a very particular player. And I think actually in a positionalist side, he actually should do well. But they're just so right-sided heavy that it is a detriment to him. Like, yeah. a lot. When they were when they were less right sided heavy, like this season, it's been the worst, if you want to call it the worst that it's been. Um, when they were less so, Martinelli was pretty killer. I forget which season it was, but he, you know, he had like fourteen, fifteen goals, and that's pretty good for a winger. Um, I would definitely take that. Um, yeah. And you know, I think he's a pretty good player coming from a Spurs fan. Um, he should not be doing this poorly, and it's probably not his fault, like you were kind of touching on. Um, Moving on. Newcastle 1, Nottingham Forest 3, away from home. Newcastle go up quickly with the penalty from Alexander Isak. <laughs> but Chris Wood scores a hat-trick, and he only gets a 9.7. I saw some funny pictures about that, but... um, Always. <laughs> only Messi's allowed to get 10s here. Yeah, yes. Um... You know, this game seems pretty wild from the underlying statistics. Newcastle were the more threatening side. They The field was tilted in their favor, but the XG is roughly about the same, 2.4 to 3.2. Um, I don't know. Are we really ringing the alarm bells on Newcastle right now? Yes. Yes. It's not their fault, though. They didn't properly pack the squad to compete across all competitions. Yeah. Um. And I just think that this just is a quick mention, but you can't lose the forest at home. Like I said last episode, yeah. they're going to end up mid-table. They're not going to get any European football. Even when they get healthy, they're still going to be super tired. Yeah, I mean, Nottingham Forest are a genuine relegation candidate. If if Everton were not, did not have the points reduction, they would be sitting in 17th place right now. Only two points off the drop. Um but you're entirely right. Newcastle are so tired. You can tell when you watch the team. I definitely noticed it when they were playing Spurs. I didn't get a chance to see this game. But, um, yeah. Uh, it's almost a case of they got UCL too too fast. You know, like, yeah. it was a down year for the Prem last year. And they were a pretty good team. And they just happened to finish top four. And, you know, it's like you almost get penalized for it in a way. And really, they do get penalized for it because they exit the group stages. And... You know, if they had a fully fit squad, it could have gone different a different way. Um, for sure. Forest, you know, good result for them as they're, you know, trying to build some, a sort of gap between the relegation spots. And Chris they did Wood, spend a lot of money, too, in the... Uh, <laughs> yeah. This was 30... So they're, try, they're trying to stay up. You know, yeah. like, Forrest is making it... Forrest is making um, waves to stay up. I think yeah. they probably will in the end. but Yes. We should also mention this is Nuno's first game in charge uh, for them. You know, so yeah. I think I texted you like this is manager bounce. Uh, I don't know if I don't know how probably. much I'm that now. Um, but, you know, you it is always good to get a, a new guy in charge. And, you know, I remember Watford doing this constantly as like a sort of tactic to stay up, you know, just constantly rotating a manager. Um. It's not, not a bad a big, tactic. Yeah. 
I'm not a big Nuno believer. Um, no, he sucks. He's the worst coach <laughs> I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> but it was interesting to see him play a four at the back, at least according to the starting lineups. He's well known for, you know, three slash five at the back. So I'll keep my eye on that. If he's tweaking his tactics a little bit, that is interesting. Um, Bournemouth, unless you have anything else to say. No, I'm done with Newcastle in my mind. <laughs> yeah. I don't even want to ever talk about them yeah. until they win a game. Yeah. Uh, Bournemouth 3-0 over Fulham at home. Bournemouth are flying right now. 22 yes, out of 27 available points in the last nine. That is impressive, and that makes you one of the hottest teams in the league no matter what. Um, and they're doing it with style, bro. Like Yes, they are. They're completely dominating their opponents. That 2.03 to a 0.3 XG is insane. It is insane. And, you, you know, as you can see, as you can see, you know, they're not going to outpossess the side. Um, the mm. field tilt's never going to be in their favor because they're going to sit a little deeper. As we can say by the defensive action height, it's just a little different. But, it, you know, they're, they're playing a mid-block. They're not playing a low block. They're playing a mid-block. And, uh, I mean... The best signing of the year for them was Andoni Ariola. I mean, just yeah. a fantastic coach, pushing them above, way above their weight, way, way above their weight. Um, and, you know, he did this in La Liga for a couple of years with Rio Vallecano. If you look where Rio Vallecano is right now, it's not really great. Um, but Rio Vallecano's big thing is they don't lose at home. Um, so, as a lot of Spanish sides, don't lose at home. But, yeah, I mean, just pushing above their weight, um, and it's all Andani's doing. Like Bournemouth probably were would be a relegation side. If not maybe not getting relegated, they'd be fighting relegation if it wasn't for him. And they find themselves, I'm gonna guess mid table. I'm not looking at it, but getting twenty two out of twenty seven. I mean twenty two by itself sounds like a mid table side. Yeah, I don't have it out in front of me because I'm looking at some of their stats. Um they're twelfth at twenty five points. Think about that, bro. Twenty. Yeah. They're twenty two from twenty seven. That means they had two points in their first nine games. Yeah, it did not start well for them. I remember Spurs playing them, and you know, it was a tricky game. But I'm pretty sure we came out to victory. And they, you know, the commentators are getting like, "Oh, is Ariola the guy here?" Blah blah blah. But just took some time, and now they're flying. You know, we'll see. We'll see. I. <laughs> To a certain degree, 22 out of 27 is not just some lucky run of form. You know what I mean? It's it's not it's not a a freak freak result. It's not coincidence. Um, and you know, Bournemouth they have some really good players. I'm a big fan, obviously, of Alex Scott. He's one of their signings who's you know finally starting to get integrated into the squad. One of the better young English midfielders. Um. That's a really exciting signing for them. And there will be a time when he moves on to a bigger club. But, you know, guys like Marcus Tavenier are finding form. Philip Billings always been a solid Premier League player. You know, it's an interesting side. And we'll Boy, get into it. Marco Sinezi won't, won't make my Prem team of the season, but he's worth it. He's a he's a good shout there and as a in defense. They also have a really good Ukrainian young center back, Zarbini. I don't know how to say his name exactly, but he's really good. And I honestly wanted him at Spurs. Um, so, you know, losing a guy to Bournemouth kind of stung a little bit. 
Well, and, you know, just to mention Justin Clivert, the youngest guy to score in all top five leagues, that's not really an impressive stat because it's actually just kind of sad. Um, yeah. Because he's so young and he's already scored in all top five leagues, meaning he's getting transferred every fucking year. But, yeah. you know, Born Myth is probably his level and good for him. Um, he's not his yeah. father. He was never going to be his father. Yeah, not yet. Um, I remember moving him going on. to Roma. Yeah, go oh, ahead. Oh, you good? Sorry. No, yeah. I just... um. I wanted to get your thoughts on the Brighton Tottenham game. Brighton win four two. Um, well, what were your thoughts on that one specifically? Uh, well, obviously, sort of like the pretext to this game is that we're missing Romero. Basuma's also suspended, so already the squad was not strong, which means we now have Emerson at center back and Hoiberg at DM. Um, because Oliver Skip was also injured for this game, who I much, would have much rather had for this game against Brighton. He's just got better legs. He's 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 just got better legs for a game like this. Um, I don't know. I think not to get conspiratorial, but if Ange is starting Emerson at center back to prove a point over, you know. Dyer or even a youngster like Alfie Dorrington or Ashley Phillips, who are thought to be like good young center backs. If he's doing it to make a point to Levy, then I really like it. I really like it. He's saying, yo, we need a center back now. We absolutely do need one. Um, you know, he's even talked about it, Pastacoglu. Um Brighton's were the first goal. Not super surprising. They're at home. And, you know, it's really such a stupid mistake from Kulisevsky to give that penalty away. You can talk about, yeah, it's, it's pretty silly that that has to get called to penalty. Obviously, corners are physical. They're a physical part of the game. Probably the most physical part of the game in terms of rough, the rough and tumble nature. But you don't you don't pull a guy's shirt. If you get caught, you're, you're fucking over your team, you know? You have to be smarter than that. And um, he, he's done it before. This is just the first time he's got caught. Um, and you're, 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 a goal nil, you're a goal down. You have to be smarter than that. And, you know, it puts us 2-0 down, and now we're in a hole. Um, <laughs> they end up going 4-0 up. And while you would obviously say that at 4-0 a team deserves to be winning, I wouldn't say that they necessarily deserve to be winning might be my bias. But a draw would have been a bit more representative of what happened. The XG here is 3.9 to 2.3. Obviously, the 3.9 includes two pennos. So what's that? It counts for 1.6. So there you go. 2.3 to 2.3 after after penalties. Um, I mean, I could talk about this for the rest of the podcast, but... I'm done with Pierre Emil Hoybrick. I'm done. I'll probably clip this later today, but I'm fucking done with him. I he I really wish he was good enough for this, but he's not good enough for a team that wants to dominate the ball or be good on the counterattack. He's good at winning the ball back and shifting it on to another player, but that was Conte ball. This is not Conte ball anymore. And I'm done with Emerson Royale too. I <laughs> he's not good enough on the ball. He's not good enough as a passer to play in this system. And so you know we need we need 
to replenish this side with players who can play in the system. You know, I don't care if they're Ben Davies. We just need more bodies in there because when it gets to this, when it gets to this level, we have no one. And you saw the guys were bringing off the bench. You wrote it down here. It's a very good point. Your first attacking option off the bench is Brian Heal. I know, I know we have injuries. I know we do, but for a big six team in England, that's not good enough. You know, Brian Hill. I like him. Cool guy. He's, but he's a not project. Good He's a project that we took, you know, a flyer on. And then the next guy you bring on is uh, L.A. Villiers, who really should be playing for the U21s right now. Like, he's not ready for the Prem. Same with Jamie Donnelly. I like these guys in the future. But when you need goals, this is who you have to bring on. I don't know. It's just not It's not what I want to see. I know Manor Solomon's hurt. I know James Madison's hurt. But really, those are only two players outside outside of the players that are fit. You know, it's you'd like to have at least one or two more guys in there. And the problem is, is that you need one or two more guys in every single position on the pitch. Well, and when you get to European competitions, you definitely need to build that depth. Um, that's that's kind of the issue with a lot of teams and yes. why a lot of teams can't compete on two fronts. Um, yeah. Because, you know, that's it's Newcastle's problem. They didn't build proper depth. Um, and they don't have any really versatile players that can be like, you know, at least with Real Madrid, we can be like, all right, comma, bingo. We're out of left backs. We need you back there. You know, where yeah. um, Nacho can play across the whole back line. So, you know, that's one of the priorities. But when you're not con- not consistently competing in all competitions – it's hard to build that depth because guys will be like, dude, I'm not playing. I'm fucking leaving. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'll go to Bournemouth and play every game, you know, instead of being a backup yeah. at Spurs. Um, so, you know, that being said, um, halfway point for Ange. How do you feel about Ange? Like, he can be stubborn. He can be, you know, he's very set in his ways, which you, at this point... I think it can be good and bad. Um, how do you feel about it, though? Because it doesn't directly affect me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, you obviously think about the Chelsea game when we're down to nine men, and he's playing an eight-one, and the <laughs> the back lines at the halfway line on the pitch. You know, it's like it's crazy. Um, I don't mind it all the way, and we're kind of used to it, in fact, because we have had guys like Mourinho and Conte who do stick to their systems kind of no matter what. Um, a bit differently, obviously, because this, Very differently. This, this team is like more on the front foot in regards to doing what they want to do. You know, It's not a counter-attacking team necessarily. Um, but to answer your question more directly, I love Ange. Um, this team plays together as a unit. You know, we didn't give up in this game. We get two goals back, and, you know, the fans even believed. The fans that were there, there was probably like 2,500 left, but they started to believe. And, you know, some of the players did as well, which you love to see. I, I don't see that happening under Conte or Mourinho. Definitely not new, no. Um, well, so on a different note, you know, the yeah. fact that you mentioned that um, – you know, that's what that's the kind of stuff that wins you leagues is just the not giving up and the fans feeling that way. Um yeah. I watched a thirty minute comp of uh 
Leicester last night in their title run, bro, they were down like every single game. Like it was, they were always clawing back. Um, and, you know, not to get too much into that, but, you know, that's kind of what you need to instill in your team to be successful as a club, um, to be successful as just for the future is that like the never give up attitude. I mean, you know, I I know that's synonymous with Real Madrid, you know, because of the spirit of Juanito, you know. Yeah. Um, you go to Italy and then, you know, he says in broken Italy, Italian, you know, 90 minutes in the Bernabeu is a really long time and they smoke them like seven, nothing. Um, so, you know, that's always been there uh, for my club. But, you know, as a coach, if you can instill that in your players, that's just you're going to be very successful because, yeah. you know, that means that they're confident that no matter they believe in you, they believe in the system, they believe in the guys, they believe in everything. And they're looking at each other and like, OK, no matter what happens, we know we can come back. And that's right. huge for a well, team. Think about it this way. You know, never giving up is synonymous with Madrid. What's synonymous with Spurs? The Spursy way, you know, like <laughs> bottling it in the end. It's kind of the complete opposite. You know, we do so well for so long and then we fuck it up in the end. Whereas what Pasacago is doing now is like, no matter what, we're going to keep going. And I think back to the Chelsea game, um, which I do want to talk about Brighton in just one second. But thinking back to the Chelsea game, I forget the exact context, you know, it's been so long, but Pedro Porro is, you know, we're obviously down to nine men and Pedro Porro is like urging the fans to, you know, come on, bring some noise and whatnot. And, you know, he's just pushing a team forward. And I was like, holy shit, I haven't seen a guy like this in so long. You know, it's, he just took it upon himself to, you know, try. I see that on a daily basis with Real Madrid. Like... Exactly, exactly. They're and just you know, always trying to get the fans into it because they know the fans can push them. They know the fans can intimidate the other team. They know the fans can give them, you know, that will, that push. You know, like stadiums and atmospheres play so much of a factor. And they it, really do. People act like they don't. They so. <laughs> really do. I mean, you know, whether Pe- Poro doing that is a direct or indirect result of Ange, I think it is a direct or indirect result of Ange, if you know what I mean. You know, that's not something... Poro does on his own, um, you know, so for that, you need a certain personality to do it. Like, you know, you're not going to see Tony Cruz telling the fans to get hype. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So you need a certain personality, but it it all comes down from, you know, the manager uh, Mm -hmm. and instilling that, like, you know, and Klopp says it all the time. Klopp's like, and Diego Simeone too, like, you know, they're always like trying to get the fans into it. And I don't know if you know, if you saw, but Klopp had said that during the Arsenal game, he's like, I need the fans to be better. Like yeah. I, I need the fans to be better. Like he's like every, I can't just get into fights and get the fans hype. And, you know, I thought that was funny, but like, it's true. Like, you know, mm-hmm. like you see the two gaffers getting it, into it. You're like, Oh, okay. Like yeah. I like where this is going or like, you know, like, you know, I played hockey my whole life. You know, that fight changes the entire atmosphere of the stadium. For like, sure. So, you know, when guys are getting into it, guys are getting into each other's faces, you know, it it gets the crowd hype. The crowd likes that. The crowd likes the game being on edge a little bit. And so just doing those little things to get the crowd into it, man, like that, that changes the whole outcome of a game, of a season, of a match day, you know. uh, Yeah, I mean, if you believe, the fans will believe. You know what I mean? Exactly. and that's if you know, they that's give first. up, they're gonna be they're gonna they're gonna give up too. 
that's exactly what happened with Conte last season. And, you know, Pastacoglu doesn't have a shred of that in him. I don't see it coming, you know, anytime, anywhere. Um, we'll obviously talk about Spurs, and, you know, we'll probably talk about them again later in this episode. But just real quick on Brighton, James Milner rolled back the years in this game. I'm not sure if you know, but he... He he was just everywhere. He was absolutely everywhere on the pitch. And, you know, he's like 37, 38 years old, just running his legs off. Um, and he was just integral. That's more his level now. Yeah, like, but he was integral. Right his level about, now. Yeah. But in terms of their high, their high press, he was integral. And they won the ball back off of us constantly through pressing guys like Emerson and Hoiberg. Um you know, Ben Davies also isn't supposed to be the guy progressing the ball for us, you know, so there's that. Um, yeah, Brighton just played, a, they played a good game and, you know, they don't always do a high press. They tend to, but they executed it to perfection against us and it really worked. Um, yeah, that's all I have to say about, about Brighton Tottenham. Yeah, so, um, and you know, I don't have anything else to add to that. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, this Brighton team, they can be so good and so bad in, like, one clean swoop. Yeah. Um, but moving on, Luton beat Sheffield 3-2 as, a, as they come back with only a .6 XG. Luton's really starting to hit their stride in the Prem. And yeah. um, this is a team that I could see staying up because they have that. They have, you know, they have that will to stay up. Like, Sheffield is just, like, they're going down. Burnley Burnley actually has some dog in them, too. You know, like, Sheffield seems like they've accepted their fate. Um, but Burnley <laughs> and Luton haven't. Um, yeah. As Burnley lose 2-0 to Liverpool, but we don't expect Burnley to beat Liverpool. Um, no. And then even beyond that, Chelsea win again at home against Palace. We're not surprised because Chelsea do tend to win at home. Um, Man City beat Everton in Equidistant Park after Everton go up 1-0. And Wolves dominate Brentford 4-1 despite getting out XG'd, XT'd, possession, field tilt, everything. Um, how unlucky for them. And you have an interesting question here um, under the Chelsea comments, which we're not going to get into yet. But do you have any thoughts? Those were a little bit more the boring games, a little bit more straightforward yeah. games. Um, do you have any thoughts on any of those games I just mentioned? No. Um, well, I do, because I, I was just about to say I do. Um, <laughs> uh, Chelsea Palace. Um, it's cool to see someone like Malagusto arriving at where you would expect a left winger to arrive to serve the goal. We talked about that. Yeah. Yeah. That was awesome. It's cool to see that, um, you know, because... Relationism. Yeah. Right back, going all the way up the field like that. You know, that's that's pretty cool. Um, you know, Ending we also, up on the left wing. Yeah. Which is awesome. It, it reminds me of Spurs a little bit. So, you know, maybe Pochettino's copying Pastacoglu. I don't know. Um, Chelsea, once again, are unable to outperform XG. They underperform it as per usual. I'm not by a whole lot this time. And, you know, as they get guys like Mudrik sort of firing and, and Cuckoo back, if they if they start to perform even with their XG, They'll be a good team, which we've always, you know, sort of been saying. Um, Alisa yeah. also continues his hot streak. He scores in this game. It's a really good goal. It's like he takes a touch, half volley, boom, really good finish. Um, 
from about nine yards away. Um, I like him. I'm a big fan of him. He's relatively two-footed, tricky winger, but can also play the 10, I would say, and maybe striker in a pinch, depending on what you want. Um, you happy he's not at City? I'm happy he's not at City, and I'm happy he's not at Chelsea either. Um, will he go to either of them over the summer? There's a really good chance, but I like to see him go away from the Prem because I don't expect him to sign for Spurs. So, um, you know, go kill it in the Bundesliga or La Liga or something. Um, either way, he's a bright young prospect. Um, Everton, Man City. Unfortunately, it's not really a. He's not really like a Bundesliga or a La Liga signing. Like they don't really take guys from the Prem very often. Um, yeah. Because they're a little bit too expensive for these clubs. Right now. Right now. He deserves yeah. a higher level than Crystal Palace, though. Um, right. Actually, I think Spurs would actually be a great fit for him. I think he's probably a better player than Kulaveski. Um He is. Which, you know, I could have... Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, but you guys did just sign Brennan Johnson, so... Yes. Um, You know, I could have talked about Kulaveski when we talk about the Brighton game, he didn't have a good game. And it was a result of him winding more up, winding up more on the right wing, as opposed to the 10, which we're finding out he's better suited for. Um, he's, he's a one trick pony. I saw someone call Kulisevsky, whereas Elise is not. Um, but you're right. We did just sign Brent Johnson. So I'll stop daydreaming. Um, the the only other thing I really want to say about any of these games is that Jared Branthwaite is a class young center back for Everton. He'll start for England one day. Um, really physical, got good, you know, strength and recovery pace, which is different than speed. You know, um, I do. There's a question here, and then I'll ask the the main question: Has Nunez been a flop at City? I did not like the way he performed in this game. It just doesn't seem like he can, he or Pep can figure out where to really, you know, work it out. I'm not going to say he's a flop because um, it usually takes about a year to get used to Pep's system. Um, so, you know, Guarviol's having a bad year. Grealish was pretty poor in his first season. Um, Doku's been good in his first season, but Doku's different because he's a very relationist kind of player where um, you're going to let him, you know, let him cook. Yeah, in uh, a lot of what he does is not relying on Pep; it's just relying on his skills. Um, so I'm not going to say he's a flop neck yet, but you know, let's say he turns into like Calvin Phillips, where it's like a year and a half and it's just not good anymore. Um, yeah, it's yeah, it's it's a flop. Um, but yeah, so I don't, I don't, I don't believe he's a flop right now. Fair. Um, not yet. Soon, he sure. it doesn't look good. Let's put it that way. It really doesn't because you know, at Wolves he was, he was a center mid, but it was just different. You know they were a counterattacking team, um, and you know you see the abilities and you see like all right he could work in the system. I get it, and I thought it was a smart signing. You know, I told my city friend, I think this is a good signing for you guys, but it, it just hasn't worked out quite yet. So we'll see. It doesn't always work out. You yeah, know, like. In theory, a lot of things can work, but it does like in Hazard to Real Madrid. In theory, that should have been perfect, but it, it wasn't at all. It was yeah. actually horrific, and we overpaid like one thirty for a guy with one year left on his contract. So, yeah, um, yeah, 
Yeah. The rare the rare Madrid mistake. Um Yeah. All right, so, the rare. <laughs> returning to Chelsea Palace. It's gotten better. It's gotten better. It's not as bad as it used to be, but it's gotten better. Yeah. This is more about some individual players. We obviously touched on Garnacho being, you know, one of United's best players, if not their best player, scoring two goals. Your best player, in my <laughs> opinion. Scoring two goals in their comeback win. Mudrik also scored in Chelsea's 2-1 win. So who do you have? Fantastic you have player. Mudrik or Garnacho as the better left winger? So this is actually a tough one. Um and Garnacho didn't play on the left in the last game, but I, exactly. I do think he's been their best left winger. I do think he's been United's best player. Um, Mudrik, he gets a lot of hate, but this guy's a fucking transition monster. This dude, if you give him a ball with space, bro, he's going to make things happen. He is, like, Chelsea, honestly, it's kind of crazy because both players would fit in both teams very well. Um, because I do think both teams are better suited to being transition teams right now. Which isn't a bad thing. You need transition teams. Um, yeah. But who's the better player? That's a really tough one because Mudrik is a better player in transition than Garnacho. Garnacho's a better in the box and he's a better decision maker. Um, but Mudrik is more athletic, not by much, but he's more athletic. Um, he's got like that 90s haircut, which I like. Not that yeah. that's prevalent to this conversation at all, but I really like the hair. Um, Garnacho kind of looks like a lesbian. Um, yeah. doesn't really uh it doesn't affect the situation but pound for pound player for player i like garnacho just a little bit more um Fair. united fans don't get mad at me chelsea fans don't get mad at me because i rate a lot of them really high. i rate both of them really highly i think both have potential to be world class in three years we might look back at it and mudrick might be the better player or garnacho might be the better player but garnacho's ceiling because of his ability to score and his decision-making being a tad better, I think he's the better player right now, but it's not by much. Mudrik is class. This yeah. guy is a transition monster. He's going to kill you. He's a great dribble. He's way better of a dribble than Garnacho. Way better. Like, he is not Vinicius-level dribble, but, like, he's, like, Rodrigo Goes-level dribbler. Like, he's that good. He's going to kill you in transition. And, you know, he's going to create more XA than Garnacho could wish to, but Garnacho is a better decision maker. What yeah. about you? Um, I mean, well, that was a really good analysis. First off, um, like you said, Garnacho has showcased the ability to score more than Mudrik has. I mean, obviously the bicycle, and then two goals, and you know he's constantly yeah. threatening the goal. Um, he sort of looks like the first season Vinicius before Vinicius really, you know, found his finishing boots. That's what he reminds me of a little bit. Obviously not with as much flair, and he's not as fast. But, you know, just in the same sort of vein. Um, yeah. Mudrik, I've seen some really bad moments from him. Obviously, he gets memed on the internet, and, you know, people love to, you know, have a scapegoat for certain things and whatnot. And, you know, you, you do feel for Mudrik because he's got so much expectation on him. But at the same time, you know, Garnacho doesn't have that expectation either. That's something worth mentioning. You know, he sort of just has come up through United. I believe he started at Atleti, but, you know, he wasn't a, mo a monster signing like Mudrik was. Um, and, you know, that doesn't have any relevance to who's the better player. 
I got to go with Garnacho right now too, though. Um, if you if you need either of them to win you a game, for whatever reason, these are your two guys you got to pick from. You have no to shot. go with Garnacho. I'm not picking either. Just to be honest. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't want to, um, because you know both of these guys are raw talents, but it's it's an interesting question. Um, it's one. And do you think Mudrik's tools are better? If you yeah. know what I mean. Yeah, I agree. Like, he, like I said, he's more athletic. It's just because he's more athletic. That's all. Yeah. Hey, another thing worth mentioning is, you know, we're obviously talking about the individual talents here, but Chelsea's team is better than United's. And Garnacho has l- looked better. So that's, you know, that's impressive in that way. That's true. Um, Especially the, in the attack, I think. Uh, exactly. Chelsea's attack is better. You know, Mujic's got guys to link up with and, you know, play intricate stuff with. Garnacho, not so much. Um, Mujic is just so good at receiving the ball and running through midfield, running through, running into the attack, getting the defenders on their back heels, and then allowing guys to overlap, underlap, and it just opens up so much space for everyone. I actually think Mujic is a more um, threatening player than Garnacho, though. Mm. And that's what makes it so that's what makes it actually a tough situation and a tough conversation because on the surface, Garnacho is the better player. But yeah. Mudrik does one thing really well and he attacks and he doesn't stop attacking. And he attacks and he attacks and he runs at you and he makes you he makes the other people around him better. Where Garnacho, I'm not so sure if that's true. That's a good point. You know, he I've seen him play hero ball quite a bit, so that is a good point. Um, you want to move on to the more midseason awards? Yes, sir. This is the reason we do it, baby. This is the yes, reason sir. we do the podcast. Yeah, is to just give our crappy opinions and <laughs> to let you guys troll us for our crappy opinions. Yeah, we've already seen it with the uh, Anthony take. You know, out of pocket. Yeah, I was told. I was told that Fernando Torres was a worse signing. Um, Andy Carroll was a worse signing, and Benteke was a worse signing. Um. I don't know if he knows, but 81.5 million pounds is a lot more than 30 for Carroll, 30 for Benteke. It wasn't even 30 for Carroll, I don't think. Uh, Seems too high. It was 58.5 for Torres. People act like Fernando Torres. Like, Fernando Torres was a flop, bro, but the dude still had 45 goals and 35 assists in 170 games for Chelsea. That's pretty is good. That, is that, that's it's not it's not the Fernando Torres you wanted or you paid for, but Anthony so what a, has Anthony done? Not forty five goals and what was it, thirty five assists. And he'll never get close to those numbers. Ever. And that's not Anthony's game, but Yeah. You don't pay eighty one point three million pounds for a winger who doesn't produce anything except for dribbling. Like yeah. And that's that's why the Mudrick price tag is so bad. Yeah, I mean, even if it, you know, not to return to it, but even if it was, you're signing this really expensive player just for dribbling purposes, you know, just to progress the ball through carries. He's not doing that either. He's not doing that. Exactly. He looks like a shell of himself. Yeah. And, you know, we dog on him, but at the same time, you know, it does kind of stink, and it's just, he's just a victim of what's been going on. I think he's, you know, there's a relatively good player in there somewhere, but um, somewhere, 
<laughs> but uh, all right. Don't know where. It's not in the boots. I can tell you that much. Um, it's in the uh, Brazilian origin, maybe. Um, it's in the heart. Yeah. Yeah. Let's uh, moving on though. Yes. Yeah. Let's let's get into this. Um, I will just share my screen just to make it easy. Cool. So, yep. All righty. So, um, here we are doing EPL, La Liga, Serie A, Bundesliga, and UCL. We have manager of the season, of the first half, sorry, surprise of the first half, biggest disappointment of the first half, our biggest wish of the, for the second half, and then we're going to do a team of the season. Yes, sir. Kev, who is your manager of the season for the first half? In the EPL, it's got to be Unai Emery. I know that's a safe, okay. safe choice, but... You know, what, like he's done with, what he's done with Villa is super impressive. Like you said earlier, second most points this year. And what you're putting is the other good shout. Yes, uh, yes. <laughs> I, I got to shout out my guy. Um, two La Liga guys, I can tell you that much. My boy from the Basque country, Andoni Ariola, 22 points from 27 in the last nine. Really turned it around. Um, it's been, it's been, it's been good, man. It's been yeah. good. I'm it, I'm very happy to see him succeed. I was it, sad to see him go too. It's hard to play that kind of football at a place like Bournemouth too, you know. So it makes it even more impressive, in my eyes. Um, yeah. If you want to go straight to it, surprise of the first half, I will say, in sort of a negative way, I will say, Nottingham Forest. They had a pretty good season last year, you know. Do I remember it off the top of my head? No, but Ooh, the squad's good, and you know, starting guys like Chris they Wood. They spent money. They, they spent, spent money. money. They've always been spending money, like, and you know, I just the surprise factor is sort of the fact that Nuno's the coach right now. You know what I mean? Like it, it's gotten to this point. It's just weird. Yeah, that's bad. I, I didn't expect it. Guys like Nico Williams, good player. Um, Serge Arrier, all right player. Bowley at the back, good player. So, you know, the, the, there's guys here. Nuno Tavares, good player. You go through the squad. Cheku Koyate, good player. Morgan Gibbs-White, really good player. Um, Ibrahim Sangare, really good player. It, the list goes on. Awanibi, good player. Anthony Alenga, all right player. Kyle Mussin-Odoi, all right player. So. Oh, Anyways, okay, thank you. Very surprising. No, I'm fine. Thank you. Sorry. Oh, sorry about that. Um, no worries. So the surprise of the first half for me has got to be. I gotta say, Ange, man, like just Ange Ball in general. I've just been really surprised about it. Um, I didn't really know much about it in general, but I've been really surprised. I've been real happy with what I've seen, and I know you have too, but it's probably less of a surprise to you and more of a surprise for me. Um, yeah. yeah. Your biggest disappointment of the first half. Oh, if you want to say something on Angeball, go for it. No, it's just, yeah, you're right, because when he came in, I just started to do my research right away, and I started to buy in. Um, you have to buy in, or it's going to be a rough season. You yeah. don't care who it is. You're like, man, I'm like when Julian Lopetegui signed. I'm like, I'm in. I mean, yeah. I do like Julian Lopetegui, but um, <laughs> um, yeah, you're biggest, no go. Sorry, yeah, biggest disappointment. I kind of 
kind of screwed up in saying Nottingham Forest because that was why they surprised me in a disappointing way. But disappointment, I will go with Moises Caicedo. Um, ah, that's a good one. You know, I had high expectations for the guy, and it's definitely not over yet. But I expected him to be like a solution to Chelsea's midfield problem, and it hasn't happened yet. So very simple, but disappointment for sure. My biggest disappointment is just Man City. Like, yeah, I they're way better than what they've shown. That's all I got to say about it. Um, okay. Your biggest wish for the second half. Like, what, I, what would you like to change? Like, it could literally be, if you wanted to, Tottenham getting top four. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to make it a Tottenham one. Biggest wish for second half, Levy, Bax, and Postacoglu. That, That's better than getting top four. Yeah. Yeah. If I see some, some sort of inclination to spend money and realize, okay, we might have our guy here for the next three to four years at least, that would be awesome. So, and yeah, I'm saying this with like some anger in my face because I am fucking angry. Anyways, go go ahead. My biggest wish for the second half. I don't really know because I don't really care about the EPL that much. Um, I would like to, I would like for someone, I would like for Man City or Liverpool to not win the league, but I don't want it to be Arsenal either. And it's kind of those three fighting for it. Um, Yeah. So, I I'll give I'll give something positive here though. My biggest wish is for Nkunku to come and lead the line for Chelsea and kind of get Chelsea where they belong. Yeah, and that, um, that would be pretty cool. Honestly, I'm a big Nkunku fan. You know, I I don't really like uh, <laughs> I don't like Chelsea, but that would be cool to see. And now on to the team of the season. And yes, sir. You're gonna do this one. Um, yeah, I can share it for you though, and then we can go. What kind of formation were you thinking? It's a it's a four three three. Um, it doesn't really matter where the midfield is. Okay, and you know, just for preface, these formations aren't really supposed to be like balanced or in theory work. We're just trying to get the best players from each team, and on top of that, even more so, we want to only do one player per team. Yes, that is well worth mentioning because there, there will be some like kind of head scratchers, maybe. Um, but I try to do my best with what we have. Um, just yeah. going into it, you kind of pointed this out to me when we were prepping for the podcast. Vicario, and, you know, I've seen him. I've seen his excellence. He is a great shot stopper. And I've been extremely pleasantly surprised with him. I probably should have said that for the midseason awards, but I don't know. He's been he's been such a you know leader in our back line. Um just doing sure. it kind of quickly. Aaron Hickey at right back. He's he's been a good Brentford have been very left sided leaning with uh forgetting their left back's name, Jaden Bogle. Um They've been left-sided leading, leading, you know, using him to transition the ball. But Hickey's provided some options off the right. Talking about transitioning off the left, I'm going to go with Ryan Aitnori from Wolves. Um, I know that's a hard one to spell. Give me his last name. 
well his he spells Ryan weird. It's R A Y N, and then he should pop up, I believe. No, all right. No. His last name is A I T N O U R I. Um. Anyways, he's a he's a good. Yeah, he's not even coming up. That's crazy. Damn. That's why. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, I tried to be niche, but um, he's he's been a good player as a left back for Wolves. Um, has a killer cross on him. Anyways, center back. I touched on this guy earlier. Jared Branthwaite has been a really important player for Everton. You know, young young guy coming in and uh, performing well. Are you finding Branthwaite? Oh, that's why. Jesus, it's freaking. It's one of those letters. Um, it's like the mm. I with like two dots above it. Um, that's probably why he didn't come up. There he is. Got it. Boom. Okay. Cool. Center back. Yeah, Jared Brand. Sorry. I'm... Oh yes, the guy you talked about. Yeah, I'm definitely misspelled. I'm wrong. B R A I. Yeah. There he is. Got it. You know, and it says there he's center back. Yeah, another center back, Thiago Silva. He's been like ah, one of the fair. reasons Chelsea have even stayed afloat in my eyes. Um, and you know, he doesn't really ever put a foot wrong. If there's a mistake, it's very not... intelligent. Yeah. Anyways, Arsenal Declan Rice as the first center mid. You could put him in the center one if you want. Um, I don't he, know which uh, one's which. Oh, cool! I got it right. Perfect. Um, well, I do have another DM here. I really have all DMs. Anyways, he's been integral in, you know, helping Arsenal attack down that right side, you know, forming the triangle with Odegaard and Saka, and it's been it's been pretty good to see. Um my other midfielders are Rodri and Douglas Louise. Um there. I know I know we have t- discussions about Rodri. Is he truly a good six, but without him? I think City would be worse off. You know, they miss KDB and now they're missing Holland and he's there. Um, he's one of their more important players. Same goes for Douglas Luiz. He's one of Villa's most important players. Um, he's just, he's he's so versatile. He can progress the ball through carrying and passing and um, he's popped up with some good goals. He scored a banger of a free kick against us, by the way. I forgot about that. He uh, was right- really bad against... Um- God, he's really bad against United. Yeah, it happens though. Um, Part of the reason they lost. Yeah. Right winger Jared Bowen. Uh, I wanted to get someone from West Ham, and you know, I'm surprised he didn't go with Kudos. Yeah, I just, you know, I knew it was going to be a four-three-three, so I put him on the right. Um, he scored some goals from West Ham. He's in relatively good form, and he's. The, re- the main reason I'm choosing him is because he's been such an important part for West Ham over these last few seasons. He's gotten overlooked because of Declan Rice and even guys like Mikel Antonio. Um, left wing, I, I went with Garnacho. He's been really good for United this season. Um, That's fair. And, you know, obviously you look down the rest of the team, the only one one club per. Um, yeah. And then striker, Evan Ferguson for Brighton. He has been... He scored a hat trick and he's really one of Brighton's best players. Really exciting young striker. So that's my squad. No Liverpool. No Liverpool. <laughs> no, that's I don't, pretty incredible. I don't think that there's like one significant, you know, sort of player 
doing just most a lot. It's been great. That's about it. Yeah. Um. You know, they're top of the table, but <laughs> I I just genuinely like I was thinking, all right, Trent at right back, but I don't think he's had a good season. When it came to right wingers, Salah's been good, but like I don't know. I don't know. Call me. Uh, call I get me. it. I get it, man. It's your team. It's totally <laughs> your call. I um, think moving on yeah. to La Liga. You're a manager of the season for La Liga. I'm gonna go with Ancelotti just because That's fair. Just because, you know, he's having to figure out a season with no nine, replace like trying to replace Benzema. Um and you know, they've only lost once in the league. That's pretty good. The one loss was a really bad loss, but you know. What can you do? It happens sometimes. Yeah, exactly. I'll go different here. I'm gonna go with Michel because I kind of have Ancelotti somewhere else in my mind. Gotcha. Um, I'm gonna go with Michel of Girona, and yeah. I'll tie that into my biggest surprise of the first half, and that's gonna be Girona. Yeah. <laughs> and and, and your biggest surprise of the first half? It can be the I, same if you want, because it's definitely the biggest. Yeah. Um. No, I'll go with Nico Williams. He's been really. He's. It's like surprising. Kind of might be weird to say, but you know, you've been, you've been, you've been, uh, I'm forgetting the word, but you've been talking about Nico Williams for a while. And, um, it's, it's surprising how good he is so fast. Yes. And, you know, he's, he's won some games for them by himself. Um, yeah. <laughs> and my biggest disappointment of the first half, I'm, I'm going to go with something here. I'm just going to go with La Liga referees, man. Okay. These guys are so brutal. They're the worst refs in the world, man. They're so bad. So bad. I don't blame you for saying that. Your biggest disappointment of the first half, Kev? I want to go with Sevilla. It was either between them or Villarreal. That's, that's fair. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. You got to be disappointed in them. Um, it's very simple. To be in 15th place at, in, in your Sevilla, that's not good enough. I don't no, care. It's embarrassing. Um, my biggest will for the second half is just a healthy Vinicius, man. Like, I just want a healthy Vinny. I want to see the best from Real Madrid. Yeah. Biggest wish for La Liga. That's an interesting one. I want to see Vitor Roque not necessarily, like, score 20 goals in one half of the year, but I want to see him just, like, play excite. decent minutes. Excite. Okay. That's, that's yeah, the- that's, that's, that's solid. Yeah. Um, okay, now. Here we go. Oops, I don't even think I was changing. I was sharing there, but it's cool. I can share it real quick. Boom. Hey, it's all right. Share. I got a... Already copied it. Just hit a refresh. Yep. All right, cool. Bet, bet, bet. All right, so my team this season. I have some notes here, obviously. Um, my team this season is going to be a little different. Um, it's a fourth. 3-3, so I'll keep it. Um, Got to go with my man Griezmann, obviously. Um, he's probably been one of the best players in La Liga this season. Um, yes. Really? God. <laughs> you fucking kidding me? Why is Kubo not coming up? Oh, wait, there he was. Uh, oh, um, so, you know, Real Sociedad have been one of the better teams in La Liga this year. Um, they find themselves in sixth, and that's in big part to Kubo, who's been probably the best right winger in the world. And Real Madrid do still have uh, first rights refusal on that one. 
So we'll see if they bring him back. Um, yeah. Obviously, got to go with. Why does he keep doing that? I, I obviously got to go with Nico Williams here. Um, just been the best player in La Liga, bar the next one, Jude Bellingham. Yeah. Apparently, Bellingham has. Oh, it's because I hit enter. It's because I hit a space afterwards. That makes sense. Um, Jude Bellingham leading ball in the Oro right now. Uh, this seems pretty gross when you think about it. Um, obviously, it it's very top heavy uh, when you look at. The front line, the back line's a little bit weaker um, because of where I decided to use my my favorite players. Um, that being said, um, the other good player is Isco Alicorn. Has been one of the best players in the La Liga this season. Uh, he's a big reason that Betis find themselves where they are. Uh, and then got to get my Girona kick in for Alex Garcia. Um, being linked with Barcelona to replace Busquets, he's been fantastic this year. He's a huge Barca fan, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> backline's a little weak this year. Um, Jose Gaia finds himself there. Um, for me, for whatever reason, he doesn't want to come up. Um, there he is. Just, just always been a class left back. Always one of the best in La Liga. Um, and finds himself there again. And this is someone that I don't actually think deserves to be here. I actually think Danny Carvajal has been the best right back in La Liga. But Joao Cancelo has been good enough where he's been the second best. And, you know, he finds himself into this starting 11 where, um, yeah, there's a lot of great players here. Um, the best center backs in the league right now have been Rutger um, and others. But I got to type in Sevilla. But, you know, someone that's been really good this year, Sergio Ramos, despite his age, he's been actually the one and only bright spot for a terrible, terrible Sevilla side. Then I went Diego Rico, who's someone that actually is a left back, but, you know, they play that back three at Hatafe. Hatafe, I really want to get Borja Mayoral in, but, you know, Griezmann's been better, so I got to get him in. Yeah, um, it's a good shout. And, you know, these two wingers really have to be there no questions asked um and then in net i got gosh my phone keeps messing up it keeps going to every other league oh yeah duh um only conceded like 12 goals in la liga this year or 12 15 goals in la liga this year bias has been out of this world man so that's a that's a nasty team i do gotta say yeah, you know, uh, a little bit weaker on the back line, but uh, unfortunately, you know, if like Pal Torres was still there and stuff, uh, yeah. it'd probably be a lot easier. Um, but, you know, when you take all the best guys play for the top sides, so um, you're kind of clutching at straws a lot of the time, but not a bad team nonetheless. Um. Moving on to Serie A, your manager of the season, I think we'll probably go in the same direction here. Um, yeah. I might go in a little bit different direction just because. For me, it's got to be Thiago Amada. Um, you know, we talked about this on the last episode, but for Brent Brentford, fucking Bologna to be in fourth, that's a great, great place to be in for them. And it's pretty self-explanatory. They're They're playing good stuff, too. It's not like they're playing, you know, as yeah. you like to say, harambo. Yeah, um, I'm going to go with Nzagi just because I want to be a little different, even though I want Diego Mota. Um, yeah. I'm going to be a little different, and they find themselves top of the table. Um, they can't win the treble because of Diego Mota, but still, 
fantastic side, kicking well above their weight. They, they, that inter squad is much better than they look, man. Every year, down. Um, the biggest surprise of the first half for you in Syria. Um, surprise Milan, but you know they have had Which injuries. But I will inter I'll or say, AC Milan. You're AC Milan. AC sorry, Milan. AC Milan. No, you're good. I just yep. know some people. You know, like when you refer to AC Milan, you can call it Milan, but Inter is supposed to, Inter Milan is supposed to be called Inter. I just didn't know. Some people <laughs> yeah. don't know that. No, you're fine. So I didn't know if you did or not. Yeah, Milan, AC Milan. Um, we've fair. discussed we've discussed this, but um, they should be they should be keeping shot with Inter. Um, I'll be right back. I need to just grab laptop charger. You're good. Um. So my surprise for the first half, uh, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna make it Bologna because it makes it easy for me. Um, I can get my Bologna fixed. Now my biggest disappointment for the first half has got to be Napoli. Um, that's a good. They're one. a team that I expected big things for, uh, and they just have not. You know, they they essentially kept the same squad minus Kim Min Jae. They that's just got true. a new manager, and losing Spalletti was a big deal, I guess. Um. Kat, your biggest disappointment of the first half? Biggest disappointment? I will say, <laughs> it's just Syria on the whole, if I could say That's that. fair. Outside of yeah. Bologna, there's not much interesting going on. I mean, you know, that could be that could be my biases and just my lack of knowledge, but I genuinely don't think there's a whole lot going on. Your biggest wish for the second half? I can follow it up and say for more to happen, but uh, I'll say Bologna. I'll say Bologna, Europa, Bologna Europa League. I would like to see them go there. I'd prefer them in the Europa League than the champion spots, uh, just because I think it's more their speed. Yeah, for now. Um, my biggest wish for the second half is just a title race here. You know, like yeah, I just don't want Inter to run away with it. Um, moving on to the. Team of the season for Serie A up to this yes, point. This is why this I need the have. laptop charger. <laughs> what formation are you going with? It's a three-five-two. Um, the the midfield will be a little weird, but we rock. Three-five-two is actually where you probably. It's the most Italian thing in the world. Exactly. Um, the goalies surprising. Um, you know. Am I going to act like I've been monitoring this guy for a long time? No. But Terricciano for Fiorentina. Fiorentina's had some really good, um, I forget what the what the nomenclature is, but he's just, he's saving more goals than he should be, is all I'm trying to say. I, I got to look up how to spell this dude's name because, okay, I got it. Yeah, Terricciano. I got it, there we go. Yeah. yeah, I got it. Uh, and then the center backs, you got three of them. Yeah, center backs was tricky, obviously, because you're going to start taking some clubs that you want to have up front. Um, start off Scalvini. He's one of the best young In center Italy, it just pro. makes sense, though. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, in Italy, it just makes sense to take. Yeah. And then Bremer for Juve. Um, you know, they've been having a pretty good season, and it's mainly a result of just good, like, as a good unit, I would say, um, mm-hmm. and you know, he's been a he's been a player that they've had to rely on. Um, 
the other guy. This is another. This is another one. Giamber for Salernitana. He is just. He's leading the league in tackles, and you know it's not a surprise for a team so so far down the table, but very important player for them. What's it? Sorry, I'm trying to find out how to spell that. You're Just fine. Sure it's G Y. It might it might have uh, some symbols in it. Ah, uh, but... yes, it does. <laughs> That's why I'm just gonna type in Norbert. There we go. Fair. G. There you go. I got him. We're good. Um, and then your midfield roles. I'm gonna go to strikers first. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Um, you got striker two one. Yeah, striker one, Lautaro. He's top scorer by a decent margin right now, and yeah. uh, he's just got to be in there. And then striker, which he could also be Cam. You already typing him in? I don't know. I was just typing in Xerxes. It is. Him. Just it is him. It is him. Assumed. Okay. Um, you know, he's been one of their most important players. Um, all right, now I'll go to the midfield. I have another interesting one. I guess throw him in at CDM. Akpa Akpro, uh, Ivory Coast midfielder for Monza. He's been very crucial for them in just winning the ball back and trying to counterattack. Um, and, you know, this is where I really want another another inter player to go to uh pas yeah Colin god god you Chal- messed me up when you say yeah. <laughs> no i can't say it either um i can't say it ever we know who we're talking about yeah for milan shout Colin out Hall- god, I, I'm, done. I'm done i'm done for uh milan tiani rinders um he's mm. a he's a do you want him, where do you want him um, you could put him at CDM as well. Okay. A rising star for them. Um, and then it's crazy. I I know how to spell that, but I can't spell <laughs> the other things. Will it let me put Osimhen at left wing? Uh probably. Then throw him in there. You know, you could obviously Xerxes could play left I wing as well. Spell his name right. There you go. We got him. Cool. Um, you know he's vital for Napoli without him where would they be no one knows yeah um and then the next one I wanted <laughs> I, I kind of want to go with uh Bove for uh Roma he's a really important player mm-hmm. nine starts this season the stats aren't necessarily there but he's a he's a rising star and he'll he'll continue to have a good a good season He's a just a good progressor of the ball. Thirty one progressive. Where do you where do you want him? In the Oh Cam. 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 Okay. Yeah, you know, there's a few there's a few guys from Roma you could you could pick, but Bove's one that Yeah, they're pretty um they're pretty like flat in a lot of ways. Yeah. And then the last one, I'm gonna go to Udinese. And I'm going to say What's his face? <laughs> Where the fuck is this guy? Lorenzo Luca. Sorry, this is this is this got very interesting very fast. Um, he's their top scorer this season for Udinese, and um, outperforming his XG slightly. I've had to use Monza. No, 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 Udinese. Yeah. I- Completely 
messed up in my head. Damn, Delafeo plays at Unidense. I did not know that. Yeah. I'm just trying to look for his name. Ah, there he I see is. I thought it wrong. That makes sense. There we go. But yeah, he's our top scorer this year. And uh, only off 10 starts, five goals. Good for him. You're always happy to see that. Um, that's a that's a relatively thrown together squad, but um, I I just feel with the Serie A, like we we're sort of talking about, there hasn't been a whole lot going on, so it's like relatively difficult to pick from. Anyways, they're very top heavy too. Um, yeah, like there's four strikers there, so. <laughs> well, that's that's fair. Um, so moving on to the Bundesliga, manager yeah. of the season for me. Chabi Lonzo, easy. Um, easy. It can't be anybody else. Like, it can't be anybody else. I know. That's, that's why I have to copy you. Why that's would I? Fair. Why would I go anywhere else? I don't know. That's fair. Um, and then for the biggest disappointment, I, I got to personally go with Dortmund. I've just been, I've been so God disappointed with them in general. Um, they have been. I'm, and your biggest disappointment? You kind of touched on it earlier. Oh, you mentioned it. You sn- you snuck it in. Kim Min Jae for Bayern. He hasn't had a good start to his tenure, or you know whatever you want to call it. Yeah, um, that's fair, and it's not really his fault either. That's the worst part about it. Yeah. Um, my biggest wish for the second half is a Chabi Alonso treble. <laughs> <laughs> Easy. Enough, that's my goat. That's my goat. Uh, gotta respect him. I will. And say- your biggest wish. You know, I, I would love to see Bayer Leverkusen win the league, but I won't go there. Just to uh, throw some some other shots. I'm going to put it down anyway. <laughs> Stuttgart to finish in Champions League would be pretty cool, too. Okay. That's, that would be awesome, actually. Yeah. Um, and then moving on to my Bundesliga team of the season. Um, it's, a, it's a weird formation. Um, it's a 4-1-3-2, if they okay. even have it on here. Um, uh, this might look kind of similar. I'm just gonna hit refresh. It's not really. Yeah, they don't really have a four-one-three-two. Let me just mention real quick that Udinese are struggling like terribly right now, and uh, I don't want them to get relegated. If we want to circle back to Syria, you know. Yeah, yeah, just... they are. Um, they're drawing a lot. Yeah. Um, which is not something we want. Um, so, Bundesliga, team of the season, one per team. Um, it's a little tougher because, again, this league is very top-heavy, and you got to throw Harry Kane at, at the top, man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he, he's, he's killing it in the Bundesliga. Um, and right next to him, you can go with a lot of names, like Boniface. Um, but, you know, I'm going to go with the guy that has having the best year of his career, missing some games, um. Gurassi. Uh, yeah. Just he's been he's leading Stuttgart big time. Um behind them in the hole, I'm going to go with a little bit different with the Leverkusen, which we talked about last week. I'm gonna go with Florian Verts. Um just because I don't think there's another 10 doing what he's doing. And you don't have to have a 10, but I just think that he's been so good. I just wanna get him in there. Um and then on the right. Got to go with your boy, Javi Simons. Simmons. Yeah. Um, he's been killing it for Leipzig. He's been really their only bright spot um, in a year that they've kind of struggled a little bit. Um, and then on the left, 
Um, going to go with the Freiburg, Vincenzo Grifo. He's been great this year for them. Um, Freiburg have been a little inconsistent recently, but he's been one of the bright spots. Um, I'm going to have to type in the team because I'm not going to be able to get all these. Um, I'm not going to be able to get the uh, the double O. You see what I mean? The yeah. O with the two dots? Yeah. Um, Stoger has been probably one of the best DMs in the league. The DMs have been kind of weak this year. Obviously, the best would probably be Chaka, who deserves to get in this team. And Palacios also deserves, but with one per team, we can't use any Leverkusen. Kimmich just had a down year. Um, other than that, the CDM position is kind of weak and not a knock, but Stoger's been pretty good for Bochum this year. Um, and you know how the Bundesliga goes. Um yeah. At center back, I'm going to go with William Pacho of Frankfurt, who's been amazing this year. Um, and Frankfurt's kind of struggled, but he's been a bright spot. Another one that I won't be able to type because German is a messed up language. Oh, really? I think you just added the N. It should just be oh. MOC. Thanks. Sorry. Nope, not coming up. No? Nope. My bad. Damn it. I'm going to look up his, I'm just going to look up his first name. Uh, you know what? It's probably because I didn't type in Borussia, bro. Yeah. It's really making you uh, do some specifics. Yeah, if I remember how to spell Borussia. Uh, nope, not coming up. Okay, Um, let me try and get this guy's first name then. Mushing God Black? That's a, that is a fucked up spelling, bro. Maximilian. Is it Maxim? No way. I can't even spell Maximilian right, apparently. Oh, it's M-A-X-I. Oh. <laughs> there we go. Got him. Maximilian Wober. He's been fantastic mm. for Machin Gladback this year. Um, He's someone that actually probably might get a move to a bigger club here pretty soon. Um, And then at right back, you know, just Robin Goshen's been around the block, man, and he just continues to be a fantastic player for wherever he goes for Union Berlin. Um, and then Mitchell Weiser has been one of the best right backs in the Bundesliga this season. And so he deserves his credit. And then Oliver Ballman has been great as well. Um, in this team, very top heavy, especially with these four are the big names. But in the back, yeah. you know, Pacho and Goshens are both very good players. Um, and now pasting that, getting that in there, um, now on to the UCL, um, Uh you know, is going to be the fun one. Uh, let's be honest here. Yeah. And this is one we're going to do together. Um, when we do the team of the season manager of the season, uh, for UCL, who you got Kev? I need to look up his name real quick. This Jacob Niestrup from Copenhagen. To get them out of the group, you gotta be you gotta be doing something right. Yeah, um, I'm gonna look that up to spell. It. I just want to spell it right. <laughs> Niestrup. Okay. Right. Um, I'm gonna go with my man Carlo Ancelotti. Perfect group. Um, no. You know, just well, well deserved. Um, just ha- having a fantastic year. Surprise of the first half of the Champions League. We'll probably be on the same boat mm. here. I mean, United uh, exit. Does it? Okay. That's a surprise. I mean, I'm not really sure if it's a disappointment, but. Yeah. 
I'm going to go with the exact opposite same group, Copenhagen. Through. Fair. Um, biggest disappointment of the first half for you for the Champions League? I will say it's tricky. It really is tricky. I think Inter are my biggest disappointment just because they should have really topped the group. Not with relative ease, but they should have topped the group in my eyes. I, you know, no disrespect to Sociedad and the other squads, but they should have. Oh, it's it's completely fair and justified. Um, so for me, the biggest disappointment. Sorry, I'm just trying to look at something. Biggest disappointment for me, um, just AC Milan. Just, it, just that that group of death was just a lot uglier than it should have been. Yeah, it wasn't like, disappointing. Dortmund shouldn't have topped it. Like AC Milan third, Milan or like Newcastle faltering on the last day. Like there was yeah. so much that was wrong. There was. Biggest wish. <laughs> I know what I'm going to say. <laughs> Go for it. City not to win the Champions League. I would hate to see them repeat. Yeah, me too. Obviously, for me, it's Real Madrid to win. But if it's not Real Madrid, I want a first-time winner. Okay. That's a good one. Not named PSG. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, and now moving on to the team of the season for this is a tricky one. The Champions League, yeah, only one per team. Um, I think we should start by who comes to mind first. Um, how do you want to? What kind of formation do you want to run? I think it should just be a classic four three three. That's fair. Um, I do want like kind of like a four two three one. If you can okay. bear with me. Yeah. Um. I gotta find the right one, or this works. Um, just because I'm, I think Jude Bellingham should probably be the first one on the list. Yes. Right. Would you agree? Um. I agree. And that knocks Madrid right out for us. Um. Where do you want to go from here? I guess we're is the ma- question. We're making it harder um, on ourselves. Uh, no. Um. I would like to nominate Jimenez from Feyenoord. You know, this is guy. Yes. You talked about obviously, but sort of putting Mexico on his back in terms of football repertoire right now, scoring goals with relative, you know, for fun in the Champions League. Yeah, and you know, to bounce off that, I think we probably have to put Antoine Griezmann in there too, top goal scorer in the Champions League. Yep, that's a good one. I'll put him on the right. Um, Makes the him and uh, god damn it, him and Bellingham both make La Liga and the UCL team of the seasons just goes to show how good of a season that they are both having. Um, yeah, I can go next if you'd like. Um, well, I just you know, I want us to agree on everything. Um, okay, we should probably look at like the left wing. Um, but well, I don't really want to go there yet because uh, okay. I don't really like the left wing that much. Um, what about midfielders? Sorry, I'm trying to do some like quick research while as I look. Um, you probably fine. should get a Copenhagen guy in there too. 
We should, um, but I will put Zaire Emery in there for PSG. He's like one of the more respectable perfect. guys. Yes, um, he's been awesome for them. Um, has some of, you know, he's up there in terms of the assist charts for the UCL right now. It looks like he's sitting in about an eighth, but he's tied with a whole bunch of guys. I mean, that's fair. Um, and then we should probably get a six in there. Um, okay, probably okay. Rodri. Rodri, right? I think that's kind of fair. They topped that group. Yeah. 18 points. Third thing. Yes. Um, you want to go left wing or you want to go back line and then come up to left wing? Um, I just feel well, like there's so many good left wings that like... I want to go with Saka because he's... He's topping the assists in the UCL right now, and I know. I'm gonna he... move Griezmann to the left then, and then get okay. Saka on the right, just so that he's in his proper position. That's he's fair. A, That's he's tied fair. for the most assists in the UCL right now, which you know you don't even really think of him as a creative guy. So that's that's impressive. Um. Now onto the back line and the keeper, which is probably where things get a little bit dicey here um i think for right back we probably have to go Cancelo. um he was really good in the champions league scoring big goals for barca fair um that's very fair or we can go like di lorenzo was also really good for napoli um but when you look at this group top the group top the group second top the group top the group second um Cancelo topped the group. Di Lorenzi got second. You think that's fair? I think that's fair. Center back? Left back. Oh, left Center back. back. Either one. Either one you want. It doesn't matter. Um, I have someone in mind, though, for left back, if you want to go to center back. Yeah, that works perfectly. Matt Hummels, center back. Um, most tackles won in the UCL so far this season. And, you know, Dortmund, find a way to top the group. Hummel's got to be a big reason why, you know, like, I don't think it's going out on a limb. Um, For left back, I think David Rahm deserves a shout. Um, For Leipzig, you know, we, we yeah. fit Javi Simmons in, um, which is someone that I would have liked to fit in ideally, but, you know, you can't always fit everyone you want. Um, I'm okay with Saka, but we got to get a Leipzig guy in there because they were actually a lot better in the UCL than the league. Um, other center back center back yeah this is Otamendi from Benfica um, second most balls recovered in the UCL only two first place Mats Hummels so you know statistically speaking those are some of the two top performing center backs not a whole lot of pace but you know we're not worried about that for keeper I have someone that popped into my mind while we were doing this let me know if you agree. The Copenhagen keeper. I sure. don't know his name, but he was fantastic. Um, he he was a big reason they advanced. Um, Grabara. And, yeah, I'm going to look up how to spell that to just be. Or we could go with someone like Jan Sommer, but, you know, like we said, we weren't really that impressed. Wow. I love how they spell Copenhagen. Um, and this is our UCL team of the half season are you happy with this group i am very happy with that team actually it's a pretty good team it is and i think it's pretty fair you know we get all the big dogs in here and then in the back line we got guys that deserve it and then we we throw in a little copenhagen at the end to 
yeah. to help us out. Yeah. A I mean, team they, that deserves to be there. They deserve so, to be there. Absolutely. Um, any thoughts, Kev, before we, we bounce? No, other than it, you know, it's been a, it's been a, it's been an all right start to the first half of the season. I, you know, you hate to see some of the injuries that have happened. Um, and, you know, we're, uh, we're heading into a summer where we're having the Euros. So we'll see how that affects us as we move forward. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been relatively interesting. Yeah, it's going to be a busy summer for sure. Um, yeah, absolutely. Especially with all these ACLs for even like just not just Real Madrid, but Gavi, you know, other ACLs going to it's, yeah, you hate to see it, but you know, you got to move on and football moves on. So hopefully I wish all those guys a good recovery in the new year. Um, yeah. Well, Kev, it was a pleasure as always. It was, it was. a good time. Um, yeah. Team of the seasons. If you want to argue with us, go please. We'll probably post them on TikTok. So yeah, please argue with us. Um, we would love that, and we'll try to prove you wrong if you if you argue with us. And you know, if you have a good point, we'll tell you you have a good point. Come yeah. on the pod, debate us, please. We, we beg. That would be that would be fun. Well, Kev, have a wonderful right. day, and you to too. all the listeners, you also have a wonderful day. Yes, sir. Happy New Year. Peace. Peace.